Hello, everyone. It's a privilege to be able to share with you today, and happy 4th of July week. I'm reminded just of how blessed we are to have the freedom to worship God however we want, whenever we want, the freedom to, to dig into His Word whenever we want, and I'm looking forward to doing that with you today. You know, I, I read a, an article, saw a headline to an article recently. It said, despite coronavirus, I'm sticking to my prediction that the 2020s will be great. Despite coronavirus, I'm sticking to my prediction that the 2020s will be great. And that, that uh, headline caught my attention, and it caused me to, to start to look ahead at to what the next decade might hold for me. And, and I had these realizations that the 2020s are going to be a, the decade in which three of my four kids become adults and leave the house, potentially get married, potentially have kids. So that means that the 2020s are going to be the decade that I might become a grandfather. And that just totally blew my mind. I'm not ready for that. But that's coming this decade. But more than, than looking ahead, I have been doing a lot of reflection on the year that's been so far. And I'm sure you can relate with me on that. And you've been doing that as well. 2020 up to this point uh, has been a year like no other. It's been an incomparable year. And for me, honestly, the past four months have been a time of intense soul searching. I've been doing a lot of spiritual reflection. And I have found myself confronted by a question that I've been really wrestling with. Have I responded to all the things, all these circumstances of this year in a Christ-like and God-honoring way? What a hard question to wrestle with. And I know I'm not alone in this. I've talked to so many people that are just at a loss for how to respond to what's going on around us, how to respond to our present circumstances. And unfortunately, I've seen so many people I know respond in, in misguided and irresponsible ways. But as we reflect on the events of 2020 and look ahead to what may come this decade, we must ask this question. We must wrestle with this question. We must be open and honest with ourselves and others about this question. And we must commit to live by an answer to this question. How are we as Christ followers to respond to the circumstances that we face? And not just the big, monumental, momentous circumstances that we've seen in 2020, but the everyday circumstances, the expected ones and the unexpected ones. How are we as Christ followers supposed to respond to everything that happens, everything that we're faced with, everything that we deal with, and everyone we interact with? What a loaded question that is, and it's been one I've been wrestling with. And, and this could be a very difficult question to answer, if it weren't for the fact that Jesus Christ teaches us very clearly and plainly how to respond to any situation or circumstance we face. The reality is that everything a Christ follower needs to know about how to live, how to relate to God, how to relate to others, and how to respond to the circumstances we face are found right here in God's Word. And a large chunk of that teaching is found for us in, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 in what's known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at a, a passage from this sermon today. We're going to zero in at the beginning of Jesus' teaching of this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 
2 through 11 is a portion of Jesus' teaching that's become known as the Beatitudes. And it's called that because Jesus is talking about, he's teaching us how to live a, a blessed life in which we bless others. That's literally what Beatitudes means, blessed life. And he he expands on these teachings when he says, blessed are those who are this or blessed are those who are that. He expands on that teaching throughout his whole entire Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to zero in on the opening part and we're going to look at these blessed statements that Jesus calls out to us and teaches us here. We can't do a deep dive in each one of these statements. We simply don't have the time for that. That's an entire uh, summer worth of sermons to dig into the Uh, everything that Jesus says in the Beatitudes. But we're going to explore briefly each one and look look at what it means for us and how we respond to the circumstances that we are currently facing. So before we read God's word, I want to invite you to, to pray with me today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your holy scripture and the freedom that we have, the ease of access we have to it. And we thank you that we can learn from it, that we have a guide for life. And we thank you, uh, Jesus, for for showing us the way to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Listen to Jesus' teaching, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This passage of Scripture is so important for us as we respond to the the circumstances we face. It's so important because how we respond to the world around us communicates in some way, shape, or form who we are and what we believe. And when we communicate who we are or what we believe, we're doing so as representatives of Jesus Christ and as the kingdom of heaven. So the reality is how we respond to what's going on around us, how we respond to the circumstances we face, either represents Christ well or does not represent him well. And that's really the, the, the issue that we're digging into right now. We can use Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount as a, as, a, as, a, as a way to know beyond any doubt how to respond in a Christ-like, God-honoring way to the circumstances we face. So let's look at each one of these blessed statements and, and just briefly look at what it means for us and how we respond. Jesus starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so here we have, as Jesus so often did, he reveals that the values of the kingdom of heaven are way different than the values of the world. And most of the time it's reversed because who wants to be poor in anything? 
And in fact, this, this teaching from Jesus has confused people for centuries. Billy Graham was once asked what Jesus meant by this because someone thought it makes more sense to want to be rich in spirit. Listen to Billy Graham's response. He said, we must be humble in our spirits. If you put the word humble in place of the word poor, you will understand what he meant. In other words, when we come to God, we must realize our own sin and our spiritual emptiness and poverty. We must not be self-satisfied or proud in our hearts, thinking we don't really need God. To be poor in spirit is to embrace the reality of grace. Blessing comes from recognizing how desperately we need God's love and forgiveness and recognizing that there is nothing that we could ever possibly do to earn it or deserve it, and God does not expect us to. But how often do we respond to what's going on around us without first seeking God's wisdom and guidance? That's the opposite of being poor in spirit. What we're saying when we respond that way is we don't need God. Instead, Jesus teaches us here that we are to respond with complete dependence on him. Jesus goes on. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Now, in this teaching, Jesus is not saying that Christ followers are to live a life of constant sadness or sorrow. The grief he's referring to here is not the grief that comes uh, from the death of a loved one. That's a grief we should all experience, and you don't need to be a Christ follower to experience that kind of grief. Instead, Jesus is saying that Christ followers should mourn over sin and evil. And this this grieving, this mourning that Jesus refers to here has a, has a kind of a twofold layer to it. First, Jesus is saying that we should be mournful of the sin that exists in our own lives. Mourning over our sin leads to repentance, and true repentance leads to freedom. Second, we are to mourn over the sin and evil that exists in our world. And our hearts, as Christ followers, our hearts should utterly break when we, when we know of a person who has not experienced the forgiveness of sins that comes with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How often do we respond to the sin going on around us without remembering the sin that exists within ourselves? Jesus had a parable about this. He talked about calling out the speck in someone else's eye when we ourselves are walking around with a great big old uh, piece of lumber sticking out of our own eye. To mourn to, is to mourn over the sin and evil. And Jesus instead wants us to respond with an awareness that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus goes on. He says, blessed are the meek. Now, I have to admit, I have struggled with this one for so long. And Jesus is, God is working in me to, to teach me the true meaning of this, but it's a slow learning process for me. See, I don't, I don't want to be weak. I'm not a fan of weakness. But meekness is not weakness. Another word for meek is gentle. See, Jesus was meek, but he was far from weak. And so he says here, blessed are the meek. Being meek towards God, towards ourselves and others is a byproduct that can come from being poor in spirit where we're dependent on God and mournful over the destructive power of sin and evil in our lives and the lives of others. 
And so what Jesus is saying here is, blessed are those who recognize the amazing gift of grace that they have received and recognizing that God, God has given me something that I do not deserve and couldn't possibly earn. And the reality of this gift should change the way that I treat others and the way I respond to the circumstances I face. Because God has been so patient and kind and gentle towards me, shouldn't I therefore imitate him, follow his example, and be patient, kind, and gentle towards others? Absolutely. But how often have I responded? How often do we respond to what is going on around us in ways that are, that are rushed and not thought out, that are abrasive and mean? Instead, Jesus wants us to respond first and foremost with gentleness, patience, and kindness. Jesus goes on to, to reveal to us how to respond to all of our circumstances in a Christ-like, God-honoring way. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here again, Jesus is revealing that the values of the kingdom of heaven differ from the values of the world. To hunger and thirst for righteousness really goes against the grain of the world because most often people hunger and thirst for things like power and wealth and recognition or attention. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to recognize, get this, the most important thing we need in life is a reconciled relationship with God, to live a life that pleases Him, and to coexist with others in a way that promotes peace and unity. And it is so important that, that we're careful to never confuse being righteous with being right. Being righteous is not the same as being right. To, to, to seek righteousness is to seek a rightness with God, to seek a life that walks in step with Him, but to, to live a life in which we seek to just be right is, is motivated by our own selfish ambition. And that's not what Jesus is referring to. But how often do I respond? How often do we respond to what's going on around us with a desire, a motivation to be right, thinking that our opinion matters more than everyone else's. Instead, Jesus wants us to respond out of a motivation to draw closer to God and draw others closer to Him. Jesus goes on in His teaching. He says, blessed are the merciful. To be merciful quite simply means to have compassion towards others who are in need. The theologian John Stott, he gives some insight into exactly what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the merciful, about who he was referring to. Listen to what he says. He writes, Jesus is not specific about which people he has in mind, whom his disciples are to show mercy to. He gives no indication whether he is thinking primarily of those overcome by disaster, or of the hungry, or the sick and the outcast, or of those who wrong us. There was no need for Jesus to elaborate. Our God is a merciful God who shows mercy continuously, and the citizens of his kingdom must show mercy too. I can't add anything to this. John Stott is just too good. So that's what we get from Jesus saying, blessed are the merciful. How often, though, do, do we respond to what's going on around us 
with a, a complete lack of mercy for what the person or people on the other side of our response might be going through or experiencing. How often do we respond without any mercy? Jesus instead calls us here to respond to all of our circumstances, big, small, monumental, whatever, to respond from a place of mercy and compassion is what Jesus tells us. He continues in this teaching. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says. The motivations behind what we think, say, and do are to come from a pure heart. As I was reflecting on this and thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of of social media and, and our online presence because so often our identity on social media is shrouded in fakeness and and lies and not a true representation of who we are. There's there's very little pureness. It's interesting how easily our purity goes out the door when we are able to hide behind a computer screen or smartphone. And that's often the most common place we get to respond to things is in that social media environment. How often do we respond to what's going on around us out of a selfish motive? Or how often do we respond out of fear or ignorance. There's nothing pure in any of those things. Jesus instead, he encourages us. He, he wants us to do all we can to respond with a pure heart. Jesus then says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. I cannot think of a more timely and relevant passage of scripture and a relevant, more timely verse than this. God was so committed to peace and reconciliation that he sent his one and only son to suffer and die on the cross in order that the world may know peace with him and with others. Jesus died for peace. Jesus was the epitome of a peacemaker and his followers should seek to imitate him. I have to speak into our current cultural context because I truly believe that Satan loves what's going on right now. And I think that Satan has deceived us and used lies to convince us that that something like racism is a political issue. But the reality, racism is a human issue caused by sin. And the bottom line truth is that Christ followers should be at the very center of the work that is being done towards racial reconciliation. As Jesus bridged the gap that existed between a sinful humanity and a holy God, so too should Christ's followers bridge the racial divide that is still so prevalent in our society today. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. But how often do we respond to what's going on around us in a way that promotes strife and unity? How often do we respond in a way that that just sows strife, conflict, and unity? Instead, Jesus wants us to respond in ways that promote peace and unity and reconciliation. Finally, in this teaching, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and on righteous or on Jesus' account. I think it's significant that Jesus ends the, the Beatitudes by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and on his account. Because as we we strive to live by his teachings, as we seek to walk in step with him and live a a life that is centered on Christ, that is is about being God-honoring and advancing his kingdom, there are going to be people who oppose us. 
There are going to be people who want to stand in our way. There are going to be people who want to derail us. There are going to be people who don't agree with us. We will experience persecution and insults for Christ. And that is something to to rejoice in because it is a blessing. But the key thing is to remember what Jesus says. We are to be persecuted for righteousness sake and on his account. If we're persecuted because of being right and desire to be right or we're persecuted on our account, that's not something to rejoice in. That's That's something we brought on ourselves. But if we're persecuted for righteousness sake and on Jesus' account, we can celebrate that because we're doing what Jesus called us to do. How often do we respond in a way that is self-centered and self-seeking? Instead, Jesus wants us to respond for righteousness sake and on his account. Now, we have in these beatitudes from Jesus, his, his outline, his recipe for what Jesus describes next. Let us look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants us to be the salt of the earth. Let's imagine, let's, let's picture this a little bit. Imagine someone offers you popcorn. I just, I just happen to have some popcorn right here. Now imagine someone offers you popcorn and they give you two choices. One, one, one handful of popcorn is, is just plain nothing but a a popped kernel of corn. And the other popcorn they offer you is this kind. I don't know if you see it on screen, this this nice yellow popcorn. It's got that super salty imitation butter on it. I mean, which popcorn are you going to choose? Forget about the health aspects. Jesus is talking about taste here and the saltiness. Which popcorn are you going to choose? If we're honest, we're we're going to go to this super salty, unhealthy, high cholesterol delicious popcorn every time. But that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to live and respond in such a way that our presence enriches the lives of others and draws people toward him. It's it's this this life that attracts people, this life that says, hey, I want to know what you're doing or what you're experiencing. That's what Jesus means by being the salt of the earth. Jesus then says that we are the light of the world. Now let's imagine this one. Imagine being blindfolded so that everything is pitch black and completely dark. You cannot see a thing. And imagine having to someone saying, you have to walk from your house, let's say, to the church campus. That would be, just imagine what that journey would be like. It would be a pretty scary journey. You would trip, you would fall, you would get lost, you'd probably get hurt, and most of us would probably just give up. We'd take the blindfold off and just walk home. What Jesus is saying here is that he wants us to live and respond in such a way that we are the light of the world. And that light should shine forth from our life and how we respond and how we live and act in a way that illuminates the path for others to follow that leads to Jesus. And and Jesus gives these beatitudes as a way to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. 
So those who are poor in spirit, mourn over sin and evil, are meek and gentle towards others, hunger and thirst for righteousness, show mercy towards others, are honest and driven by pure motives, strive and work for peace and reconciliation, and are persecuted for Christ's sake, will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's what we we need to do. We need to filter our responses through this teaching. And we will know then that we have responded in a way that is Christ-like, God-honoring, and advances His kingdom. So what now? What's the next step that you can take? Well, the first thing anybody needs to do is first accept Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, what are you waiting for? All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. That's the first step. That's the first step to being able to live this life that God has created us to live. Next, for all of us who are already following Christ, I think that in the age of social media and text messaging, we live in a time where it is easier than ever to respond to what's going on around us by sharing our our thoughts, feelings, and opinions with others. We need to filter our words through Jesus' teachings here. And I imagine that we would say a lot less. We would probably listen a lot more. We would be way more intentional when we do share and respond. But when we do respond, we would do so in a way that honors Christ and advances His kingdom. Everything that Jesus teaches us can be used to filter how we respond. This is how we are to respond. Now, this life that Jesus calls us to in the Beatitudes is impossible without Him. On our own, we will fail in this. We have to absolutely depend on Him, fully surrender to God and His commands, and and just completely depend on the Holy Spirit. I want to close our time with this passage of Scripture, Psalm 19, 7 through 11, as we think through how to respond to what's going on around us, as we we think through uh, Jesus' teaching here and how to filter our responses through this. Listen to this passage of Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Jesus says, blessed are those who live this life. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word and the way you you speak to us through the reading of your word. We thank you for the guidance you give us. And Lord, I pray for anybody who has not yet invited you into their heart that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would say yes to you and begin that new life that you have for them. And for those of us already following you, Lord, help us respond to all that is going on in the world around us, big and small, expected, unexpected. Help us respond in a way that brings glory and honor to you, advances your kingdom by by being salty in people's lives and and, and just shining a light for them to see you. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, 